Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Amen. Amen, guys. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Welcome to the beginning of a new series where we are walking through the book of Ephesians together. We'll be spending uh, some time in this book, uh, taking us up into the month of August with a few breaks here or there. Uh, so if you're new with us, you picked a great time to join us. Let me say welcome to you. We're honored and blessed to have you join us. I pray that we serve and lead you well and that you see Christ through us. If you're joining us online, let me say welcome as well as we get into the book of Ephesians. If you have a Bible and you want to join me in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning, if you're looking for Ephesians, if you find the New Testament about the middle of the Bible and you move towards the right, towards the back of the Bible, you'll find the book of Romans, First uh, and Second Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians, and then the book of Ephesians. If you get to Philippians, you've gone one book too far. And if you need a Bible, there are Bibles around you underneath the seats. If you want to use one of those today, if you like that Bible and you'd like to take it home, please take it as a gift from us to you as we get started in Ephesians. Ephesians is not a very long book, and you may see that as you open up uh, to Ephesians. Uh, it's not a very long book consisting of only six chapters, but it's some of the most recognized teachers of old spent a considerable amount of time studying and teaching uh, through this book. I was doing some research, and, and here, just to name a few, uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, exposition of the book of Ephesians takes eight volumes. He, he has 37 messages on chapter one alone. <laughs> we will not be spending that kind of time in Ephesians <laughs> Jesus may come back before we finish Ephesians if we keep doing that. Uh, John Calvin, uh, he, he had 48 sermons on Ephesians that took up 705 pages. I mean, as I read and researched, uh, the comments regarding the book of Ephesians were amazing. Uh, it, it has been called the crown of Pauline theology. Uh, the English poet Samuel Coolridge said that Ephesians is the divinest composition of man. Uh, another writer referred to it as the Grand Canyon of Scripture uh, because it is breathtakingly beautiful and apparently inexhaustible to the one who wants to take it in. Uh, one commentator, he set it up like this. He says, Colossians, the book of Colossians, explains Christ's person and work in relation to the whole universe, the cosmic Christ. Whereas Ephesians explains what the church's cosmic role is as the body of the cosmic Christ. As we study through Ephesians over the next several months, we're going to see and find that it's answering questions regarding the position or the job description of the church and, and, and what does it mean to be in Christ and what does it require of us. And so we'll see that really that this book is immensely powerful for our lives. It's authoritative, it's magisterial, it's masterful in theme, it's practical in the way Paul breaks it out. I believe this book, as we prayerfully study through it, will change our lives. I truly believe that. And so the question is not so much what we will do with it, but what will it do with us? And the, 
To set it up, some background about Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is believed to be a letter written to all the churches in Asia Minor in that area, uh, meaning it was circulated among the churches to be read to uh, those in attendance at those different churches in that area. Um, It circulated between them. And the focus church and the focus city, the focus church was the church in Ephesus being the major city the city of Ephesus. And a little bit of background about that city, the city of Ephesus, so that we can understand the cultural context uh, with, with what the readers who were hearing this uh, letter read to them and shared with them would be experiencing in their lives. And Ephesus was, was noted for its temple of Artemis or temple of Diana. It was an idol worship temple. Uh, but this temple, the structure uh, of this uh, temple was four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world that give you any idea of how, how big and large this temple was. And so when, when the gospel took hold of the people in Ephesus and there were so many new Christians, uh, that, so many people that were converting to Christianity and becoming new Christians that they stopped buying the silver shrines of Artemis and it led to this riot by the silversmith guild in the city of Ephesus because their prosperity was... Uh, dependent upon this business to sell these silver shrines to people as they would worship this idol of Artemis. And so Ephesus was also a center of occult practices. The magical arts is what we see in Scripture. And, and again, when the gospel took root in Ephesus, uh, the new believers burned the occult books. And, and Luke reports and records for us that, that when it was all counted up, it was worth about 50,000 pieces of silver. And as I was researching that in the book of Acts, I want, if you would, just turn back just a few books with me to the book of Acts, uh, just a few pages backwards, uh, just to point out something, because I, I, as I was researching and reading this, and I'll show you where Paul uh, landed in Ephesus here in Acts 19, but there's something that stood out to me that, that I'd never caught before, and I, and I actually laughed out loud in my office. I LOL'd in my office as I was reading this. Um, and so I just want to see if you LOL with me as we read this, because it, I mean, the Bible is amazing, it's fantastic, and if you've never had the opportunity or you've never taken the time with the opportunity that we have to spend, to spend it in the scriptures, I would encourage you, and I'll, I'll show you why, because some of this stuff is really, really great and really fun to read. And so if you look at Acts 19, you'll see that Paul... Um, here is is in Ephesus, and he spends several years there. But but I want to take you down to verse thirteen. And it says, "Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, listen to what they said: I adjure you by the Jesus whom." Paul proclaims that they wouldn't even you know, call Jesus their own. This is this is Paul says this about Jesus, and 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 it says verse fourteen: seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. That's who was doing this. This is my favorite part, verse fifteen. But the evil spirit answered them: Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize. But who are you? <laughs> who are you? I'd love, that's why, so good. I'm glad some of you joined me in laughing out loud because I'm picturing that scene in my head and, there, and that evil spirit and that, and that man who we see uh, does uh, a, little bit of, um, a little bit of stuff. Look at, verse, look at verse 16. And the man in whom 
was the evil spirit, leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Who are you? I don't know who you are. And I'm going to beat you up and take your clothes and send you out. <laughs> so you just, did, did you picture that in your head like I did as I was in my office reading through that? I don't know why that didn't jump out before in reading through this. But if you look in the, and continue in verse 19, you'll see where Luke records here, or in chapter 19, Luke records here that, that they brought all those books together and burned them, and it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. And verse 20 says, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail Mightily, And if you were to continue reading in 19, you would see the riot, which I mentioned, of the, of the silversmiths because the shrines, the Artemis, weren't being purchased because people were converting to Christianity. And, and I share that just to, to kind of set, you know, what we learn is that this, this letter that Paul sent was, was not sent to scholars. It wasn't sent to, to theologians. This was the city of Ephesus was full of just ordinary Christians from, from a pagan background who are living in a broken and sin-filled place. And my question is, I think we, or my statement is, I think we can relate to that. I think we can relate to, to that. And the structure of Ephesians is typical for a letter by Paul. It's typical for how Paul would set it up. Paul stating in, in the first part of Ephesians, the doctrine, meaning the, the truths, the principles, the commands of Scripture. Here's what God has done for us. Here's, here's what God is doing for us. And then the duty and the application. So chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians really deal with primarily the doctrine, telling us who God is and, and what God has done for us. And then verse, in chapters 4 through 6, we'll deal with our response to that, our, our duty, our response to that. And chapter 6 is going to include that descriptive of a spiritual battle, the armor of God, which we'll get into the later part of the summer. Watchman Nee, who was a, a pastor, a, a teacher, a writer, he titled his book about Ephesians, Sit, Walk, Stand. And it's a very small book. It's not very long in pages, but he titled it Sit, Walk, Stand. Sit being our position, our new position in Christ. Walk being uh, a descriptor of how we are to live in this world. And then stand captures really the resistance we are to have in that spiritual battle against the spiritual enemy. So, so I share all that to kind of just lay the foundation and the groundwork as we get into the first two verses of Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Within these two verses, I think Paul declares three things to us. And these, these are, you could really say that they have everything to do with our identity. And so I want to start with this first declaration, and it's the declaration about Paul himself, Paul an apostle. It's a title that he has for himself. Verse 1, the first part, 1a, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And so I want to take a moment to have a little character study of Paul in case you're not familiar with Paul or his, or his background or his origin story. He was formerly known as Saul. And we find Paul's origin story in that he was a devoted follower of Judaism. He, he was trained 
trained in the law. He was devout in persecuting those who would oppose it. Uh, He was uh, there and approved and assisted when the Jewish leaders stoned Stephen to death, the first Christian martyr. Uh, After that, Paul, he he had ravaged the church. He, He would enter homes. He would travel around. He would enter homes. He'd drag off both men and women out of those homes, and and he put them in prison, and and some were put to death. And and you can read all about this in the book of Acts and also in in Galatians 1. And as we read about Paul in in the book of Acts, in Acts 9, he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's he's traveling again to persecute those who who are against Judaism, who are following the way which it was known in that time. And and, and he has this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And in God's sovereignly uh, plan, he intervened in Paul's life. Uh, it says that a bright light from heaven suddenly blinded him. And he, and he fell to the ground. And he heard the Lord say in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and when Paul responded, Lord, who are you? The Lord said in verses 5 and 6, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up. And enter the city and it will be told to you what you must do. If you were to flip into Galatians chapter 1, Paul is telling his testimony. He's sharing his testimony. And in verses 15 and 16 it says, Paul writes, God who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And if you look back, you take all that into account, and you look at Ephesians 1, A, the first part of Ephesians 1, Paul says he is an apostle, title, right, declaration, by how? By the will of God. And in other words, what Paul is saying, he's, Paul is saying, I didn't have anything to do with this dramatic conversion and his appointment as an apostle. He's like, I didn't have anything to do with that. This was God's will. This was God working and intervening. Paul, he's making it very clear here that he is a, an apostle, not of his own doing, not of his own power, not of his own earning, not of his, him climbing some type of a spiritual ladder to earn a title or anything like that. This is not of his own will or even the will of other men or women around him or groups of people. Rather, this is the sovereign will of God. In fact, if there was ever a person who you could look at and look at their testimony, who was violently against Jesus Christ and his salvation and the gospel, it was Paul. And so he's making it very clear as an apostle. Paul says, listen, I was appointed an apostle and God sent me to preach the gospel, especially especially to the Gentiles, who who he despised with a passion. And Paul's opening words then in Ephesians speak to a self that's been liberated from the bondage of an ego. And so he's writing from prison and he says, here's the message that God wants you to hear. And it has incredible significance. For those in Christ, all have been delivered from self. It has been his his sovereign intervention in our lives. His wooing us, calling us into a position with him in Christ, a, a purpose with Christ through our lives until we're, until we're home, until that homecoming comes. And so Paul announces and declares his identity. And because of that, we have to listen to the message of Ephesians with the right and appropriate humility and attention. 
the message comes to us because God appointed Paul to bring the message. God did this. And therefore, when we hear Paul speaking as we study through this letter, we are in fact hearing the message of God himself that God appointed Paul to bring to us. And I know some of you may be saying, you might be asking, we know that. Why would you point that out? Why would you, why would you take time to point out that, that this, this scripture, all scripture is God's voice and authority? And I'll point that out, and I take time to do that because I think it's incredibly important today because one of the errors in thinking today in our culture is that all have the right, everyone has the right to decide for themselves what Christianity is. Everybody has the right to decide for themselves what the church is and what the message of the gospel is. And and, and if Paul was standing before us, he would say, no. He would declare to us, no, the gospel is God's. It belongs to him. It's his message. Nobody alters the gospel. I am here to declare that gospel to you. It's your business then to sit under the gospel's declaration and message and receive it and embrace it and believe it and be transformed by it to the saving of your souls. That would be Paul's declaration. That's how he starts Ephesians 1. I am Paul, an apostle, not by my will, but the will of God. So this is his. The words of this book speak with Christ's authority by God's decree. And so when we study and spend time in this book over the next several months, we understand Ephesians is the words from God to us through a man he inspired by his Holy Spirit and carried along, guided, protected, and enabled to pen for us. This is God's word. This is God's word. We don't, we don't change it. We don't modify it. We don't, we don't scribble out words that we don't like. We don't, we don't uh, you know, take sentences out. We don't, we don't do any of that. This is God's word. Gospel, good news is God's salvation is God's. This is his word. And, and Paul's making it very clear from the very start. Listen, this is God's will in, in setting me here, my identity of who I am, and his work of sovereignly saving my life. This is his word. Then he declares to us as the recipients who we are. Look at verse 1 again, the last half. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Saints, that's our title. That's us. Take a moment and understand the us, the recipients of the letter, right? So contrary to popular belief, the title saints is is not for a group of people who stand above others in in spirituality or above the rest and they're not some super spiritual person right they're they're, they're not some higher level of faithfulness they're they're not some someone special no this is for all who were in the church then and now nine times in ephesians we're going to see uh, paul address the readers as saints these are not dead saints Right? They're readers. They're, li- they're readers of the, this letter. They're, they're hearers of this letter. They're not dead saints who are then bestowed a title of saint, you know, after they died. This is, no, these are living disciples of Christ. Now, we were dead in our trespasses and in and, and our sin, right? But now we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. To define saint is to say holy one or one set apart and consecrated. It was used often then to describe what's happened in our hearts. What's happened in trusting in Jesus, believing in Christ, and the transformation that's happening, trusting in his word, and and our faithfulness to following after Jesus. John, John Calvin stated, no man is a believer who is not also a saint. And on the other hand, 
no man is a saint who is not a believer. And this is all because we're in Christ Jesus through belief and repentance. You notice what he says, what Paul says. We're not simply faithful. Look again at at the last half of verse 1. We're faithful in Christ Jesus. And when Paul says in Christ, he almost always has in mind what we call union with Christ. That, that the meaning that we have person, personally, savingly been united to Christ by faith, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so everyone who trusts in Christ has been united to the Lord Jesus Christ so that we are savingly brought into union with him. And, that's not it, and all those who trust him, with everyone who trusts him. That we are his body, he is our head. That's why when Jesus prays that we be one, that's how we are to be one. We're one by him and for him. And so when Paul says to the saints in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus, we're in union together with Christ and one another. And so that's what Paul's saying. That's what you are, Christians. You are saints, you are holy ones, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in the household of faith. You are in Christ Jesus. This is, this is critical importance of identifying you and me if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, if you're a believer, if you've repented and in faith believe in Jesus Christ. This is, this is an identity marker for us. You see, the description of the recipients, us as saints, tells us who we are and what we are to be doing, right? If we've been made holy then we are to continue to pursue holiness. If we've been granted faith, then we are to grow in faith and faithfulness. If we've been united to Christ, which we have, then who are we to abide in? Not ourselves, but in Christ. and Depend on Him and delight in His commands. And for all those who know these blessings, delight in them. We delight in these things. We cherish these things. We, we not just have them within us, But they work out of us because we see them manifested in our relationships with people in our home, with people in the church, with people in the world around us. One writer, he put it like this. He says, God's purpose is not merely to save isolated individuals, but to build his church to create a new society, a new humanity in which the old barriers have been abolished. And this new community of Jesus presents itself to the world as a true alternative society, which eclipses the values and standards of this world. He says, but when we are like the world, the compelling power of our witness is completely robbed. And so when Paul says to the Ephesians, when he says to us, your saints, your saints, your trusting in Christ, meaning you're in Christ, you're united to him, And when we are united to him, we know that Romans 8 reminds us that nothing can crush us or separate us from that love and that uniting to him, right? He's saying you're in the world, but you're not of it. You're of him, and yet you're in the world. It's not... Is that not a call for you and I to live out those realities on the day-to-day, to be distinct from the world, to bear witness to God in this world around us, that, that we are not to be conformed by the, by the age and the passing age that we are to, living in, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's what Paul, he's establishing that for us. He's establishing who we are and how that works out, and he's going to, he's going to expand upon that throughout this study. 
And then the last decoration for us, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the last decoration is blessings, grace and peace. Let's finish with blessings, right? And it'll be carried into next week as we look starting at verse 3. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, No two words are more important in the whole of our faith than grace and peace. Yet how lightly we tend to drop them off our tongues without stopping to consider what they mean. Grace is the beginning of our faith and peace is the end of our faith. If you've ever had the privilege of receiving an email from Pastor Tyler, you may have seen his closing before his name. He punctuates it with these two words. And if you've never received an email from Pastor Tyler, would you please email him this week? <laughs> Just say hello. You don't have to put any more than that. Just so you can receive an email from him that says grace and peace. Would you do that for me? <laughs> grace. God's a merited favor. It's, it's completely undeserved. And who better to understand that as he writes this to us than the Apostle Paul? It was completely undeserved. Remember, he was a persecutor of the followers of Jesus. He was a persecutor of those who were, who were converting and believing in Christ for salvation. He was persecuting them all, and some of them all the way to death, right? If anybody were to understand undeserved favor, grace, it would be Paul as he writes this to us. It is wholly unearned by us. It is freely given, though. And as we studied and understood as we came together last week with the reflection of the cross, it is expensively purchased by the life body of Jesus Christ. This favor which Paul pronounces on all of us who are trusting in Christ Jesus, this favor is completely, again, undeserved. It's unmerited that God in his mercy, in God's mercy, would extend it to us in Jesus Christ. He would offer it to us through Christ. And Paul is saying, I pronounce favor lavished on you in Jesus Christ. You haven't deserved it. You you certainly couldn't earn it, but he's freely given it at the cost of his son. So grace to you. And every Christian, every Christian, every believer in Jesus Christ, every disciple walking after Christ, every, every one of us who have repented of our sin and believed on faith in Jesus Christ as the one who took our place on the cross, who conquered all of that through the resurrection, every believer, because we know ourselves, the people who live with you or around you maybe know 90% of you, but you know the one in the mirror. You know all about you, and there's only one other person who knows that about you, who is at that level that you know yourself, and that's Jesus. And every Christian then, because we know ourselves, what do we do? We delight then in his grace, right? That's why we can sing, it's amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We cherish it. Every Christian delights in the reality, but it's not just the reality of his grace. It's a twin reality. It's not simply grace to you. It's grace to you in peace. Peace. The Hebrew word shalom, which our student ministry just finished an entire 
multi-week series just studying this word, shalom, peace, which means so much more than peace often conveys in our language, right? It means the blessings that flow from God's grace, from God's grace, it's peace. Paul's going to spend the rest of Ephesians 1 really expanding upon listing for us those blessings that we have received, that we have inherited because God's grace shown to us in Jesus Christ. The peace of God in scriptures refers not, not simply to an end of hostility, which is what we normally think of when we hear the word peace, right? That it's an end of hostility, right? But rather, first and foremost, of course, peace with God. That we're no longer under his just as a holy and just judge. We're no longer under that condemnation because, again, as we celebrated last week, Jesus took that for us so that we are under his fatherly acceptance in Jesus Christ, right? We have peace with him. Our sin has been dealt with. The penalty of sin has been dealt with. So we have peace with God. It's the only way to have peace with God is through a relationship with his son, our Savior, Jesus but this peace in Scripture means even more than that. It means that we can experience the, the fullness, the wholeness, and the satisfaction no matter what the circumstances are that we experience in life in this world that we still have this peace. It surpasses all understanding as Jesus described it for us, right? For the Christian, these things are exceedingly important in our daily lives. They are incredibly special to us. It's what gets us out of bed some mornings. It's what gets us through the day some days, right? This peace that, that comes upon us, that, that works its way into us, as it works its way out to us, as we testify to that peace to those around us. So no matter what peace, it comes from God's grace. And contrary to popular opinion, and you notice that Paul makes a point here to say that these are from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't just say grace and peace to you. He says they, this is where they're from. This isn't from others. This isn't from me. This isn't from you know, some, some chant. This isn't from anything else. This is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So contrary to popular opinion that is out there, there's only one way to experience it. There's only one way. There's only one road. There's not many roads. There's only one road. There's only one way to experience this peace. There is but one, one, capital O, right? One in whom we experience this peace. There is one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ, his son and our Lord. Jesus states this. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is one way to experience grace and peace of God, and that is in Jesus Christ. And to those who know God in this present experience of grace and peace, it will be an experience that we will have forever in full. We have, we have it now. And some days it feels like we only have a foretaste of it. But the promise is that we will know it in full forever. And if you don't have that experience, if you don't have that within your life, you don't delight in God's grace and peace above all things, is there anything more for us to delight in than God's grace and peace? Anything else in this world to delight in 
and God's grace and peace. And if you don't delight in and cherish God's grace and peace, chances are you've never experienced it. You've never tasted God's grace and peace. And if that's you today, if that is you in this room or watching online, if that is you today, the book of Ephesians is waiting for you. Join us. I invite you. I encourage you to join us on this journey through this book, which will explain the fullness of grace and peace in God through Jesus Christ, how we receive it, how it's offered to us in our salvation. Grace to you and peace. This, this is what we have to offer others. We could say it's a brand new greeting from another world, right? And all who truly want it can have it through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray that if there are those here watching, listening, that have never experienced that were countered or possess your grace and peace that is given freely through your Son and our Savior. God, that today, right now, there would be no barriers that would keep them. That whatever walls they have put up, that whatever, whatever thoughts that's keeping them from responding, what, whatever it is, may your Holy Spirit come. And break those barriers and walls down that would keep them. Let, them. let them experience your grace, your peace that comes through their repentance, their acknowledgement of sin and wrong, and, and believing that Jesus is perfect. It's the perfect lamb that went to the cross, that paid the, the penalty, that they were responsible for paying took it all. He paid it in full and he went to the grave and he, he rose three days later and he conquered the giant shadow of death that was cast upon us, that he conquered it, that we've won the battle. It's already been won. We've read the end of the book that, that they would know that to be true in their lives today. God, call them home today. May they respond to the invitation of grace and peace through Jesus Christ and salvation. God, encourage those who are walking home to you. Encourage us to be, to be strong in our faith as we, as we once again are refreshed to know that that grace has come upon us, that peace covers us, and that no matter what, no matter what happens, no matter what comes, that we trust the promises that you've given will not be crushed we will be with you forever. For your glory and our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.